1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Good afternoon again. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to First uh, Timothy chapter 4, continuing our series uh, through this great little book. Um, let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much um, for this church family. I thank you for an opportunity uh, to worship together, to learn from your word, um, and to learn uh, what it looks like to be a healthy, gospel-centered household of God. Lord, we, we just humbly ask for your help uh, in making us the church that you've called us to be. And so uh, as we study your word, Holy Spirit, we ask that you do what only you can do, that you would bring light to these words, that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that you would just soften and till the soil of our hearts to receive the good seed of the gospel, uh, so that beautiful, God-glorifying things could grow from it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So hey, last uh, week, uh, I, I mentioned that um, I've made uh, some health goals for myself, right? Uh, this is the year that I turn 40. So that's uh, uh, October 20, uh, if you're wondering. I can send you my Amazon wish list later. Um, but, uh, but listen, I, I, I turned 40 later this year, and I refuse to be in the worst shape of my life when I turn 40, which is what I am right now. I'm in the worst shape that I've ever been in my entire life right now. Um, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, like, man, you look pretty good up there with that sweater and everything. And uh, just trust me, I'm not like I was before. But I'm making a concerted effort to get physically fit again, not to look good, but to feel good. Just to be healthy. I want to be healthy for my family. Um, I want to be healthy for you guys, uh, just to pastor well here. And this requires focus and to change in some of my daily habits and some discipline training. I've got this, this app uh, on my phone that uses AI to put together workouts for me, and, and it's great and helpful. Now, I mention all this because I think that we all know that sort of basic principle, that if you want to be fit, you need to be intentional to train. And in today's passage, you'll see that if you want to be spiritually fit, that you also need to train. If you want to grow in the grace of godliness, you need to train. And here's our big idea right out of the gate here. It's that to be spiritually fit, we must train for godliness by the grace of God who is at work in us. To be spiritually fit, we must train for godliness by the grace of God who's at work 
in us. Now, that's where we're going today in 1 Timothy 4, but by way of preface, I do want to say just a couple things uh, to sort of prepare uh, our minds so we don't have any misconceptions here when we talk about this topic of godliness. Um, So by way of preface, let me say a couple things. Number one, I want to tell you why godliness matters, okay? You kind of, we've kind of established that it does matter, but I want to tell you why it matters. Um, They say that CrossFit is a great way to get in shape. Um, I know that some of you in here, uh, some of the members here are, are big CrossFitters. Um, good for you guys. Not for me, right? Not for a lot of us. I've been to a few CrossFit gyms uh, as a guest, and the group workout whole bit is just not my thing. Uh, I, like, I like to think while I'm working out. I like to rehearse conversations, you know, like plan them ahead of time. Anyone else do that, right? Where you rehearse these conversations. I like to listen to my own music. Sometimes I'll work out with a buddy when, so I can have like, a, you know, somebody to spot me and, and uh, maybe have a few conversations about, about life with while we're working out. But the whole big group thing, no, right? Not me. Uh, plus just the intensity, Right, the intensity with CrossFit, with the just the pacing and the and the power lifts and the you know floppy pull-ups that you you know that you guys have seen that right. Like my joints can't handle that silliness. I'm not that nimble, and it's 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 possible. It's possible. I think that 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 maybe you look at godliness the way that I look at CrossFit. Hey, it's cool for other people, right? You have respect for those that wake up at 4.30 to make it to the group CrossFit class, but you know it's not for you. It's not something that you're passionate about. Or maybe training for godliness feels like another thing to do when you're already impossible uh, to complete list of things to do. And of course, you're like, yeah, but I, yes, I do want to be a good person, Right? I want to be known as a good person. I want to be known as a as a as a sort of respectable person. Uh, I I I don't want. I'm not going to sin in any big crazy ways. Um, but if you're honest, your life just kind of seems fine without this ongoing, intentional, active pursuit of that godly life. But the Bible tells us again and again. It uses language like "be godly," "be holy." Be humble, pursue righteousness, put off the old and put on the new. For starters here, God commands us in our text in verse 7. He says, train yourself for godliness. And look, if you you actually pay attention of all the things that Paul wants to say to Timothy in this letter, this might have been the most important because the word godliness shows up 15 times in the entire New Testament. And more than half of them, nine times, is right here in 1 Timothy. Also, the Bible says that you and I, we are not going to see God after death if we don't strive for godliness on this side of death. Did you know that? It says this in Hebrews 12, verse 14. It says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So does this mean that holiness and godliness is what gets us into heaven? No, of course not, right? Because we know all the other scriptures. We know that's not what, it, what that means. And so here's point or preface number two is that godliness is not what gets us into heaven, but faith in Christ does. 
All right, so godliness, with all the talk that we're going to do, I, I just wanted you to know on the preface, on this side of things, that godliness, let's make it clear, on the front end, is not what gets you into heaven, all right? Only your faith in Christ does. It's not our striving for godliness and holiness that gets us through the heavenly gates. We are saved by grace through faith. This is a gift of God, as we read earlier, not, not of our own doing, so that not a single one of us can boast. But the Bible is clear. That it is the holiness of Jesus himself that qualifies us for heaven. Not anything that we have to do, but what he's already done. But those who have turned to Jesus for salvation, the Bible says, have been given the Holy Spirit. We're given the Holy Spirit as a gift. The third person of the Trinity as a helper as an assister, and the Holy Spirit fills us and creates this holy hunger in us to, to long for the things that, uh, of God, to desire after his heart. And so if you don't have those desires, or if you have them and you don't act on them, it could be a sign that you don't really have the Holy Spirit. We obey God not to make him love us, but because he already has loved us, even while we were yet sinners. And so godliness does not save you. You're not your savior. Jesus is. But the fruit of that salvation is a life that will grow in godliness by the grace of God. And so I hope you see just from this preface that training for godliness is important for the Christian life. So let's turn to our text now. What does this passage teach us about how to be, let's call it, spiritually fit and trained for godliness? Number one, to be spiritually fit and trained for godliness, we need to take in gospel doctrine. Take in gospel doctrine. We see this in verse 6. Paul says if you put these things before the brothers, we could read it before the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Now, what does he mean when he says these things? If you put these things before the brothers and sisters. When he says these things, what he's referring to is everything we've already gone through in 1 Timothy. Everything we've learned up to this point about what the church should be, how she should conduct herself. That is what he must, what Timothy must put before the brothers and sisters. The language is there in the original language. It's, it's like a merchant at the farmer's market who kind of sets out all her goods on the table. A good servant of God is like that. It's someone who takes biblical truth, gospel doctrine, and puts it out there for others. He describes how you can become a good servant like this in the last half of the verse. He says, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. So he says, look, you, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus because you're trained in the words of faith and in the good doctrine you've followed. Now, Timothy, it says, was trained in the words of faith. Now, what are those? What are the words of faith? They're the essentials of the gospel, the good news of God's love for us in Jesus. And that word trained is the Greek word entrephomai, which is a word that means that it, is, it has become like a part of you. You're nourished by it. It's that sort of training. It's, it's become a part of your, your biology, your makeup. 
If you know about physical training regimens, you know that a good plan includes both physical exercise, but also, also what? Nutrition. Nutrition. And when you're properly, uh, when you're not properly nourished, rather, uh, what happens is you get fatigued quickly. Uh, your, your muscles won't recover properly. But if you have the right vitamins, uh, you, like you, you, if you have the, take the right proteins, then you're uh, rightly nourished. If you have the right amount of carbs, then you can be rightly nourished. Even some of the vitamins that we take, right? Like vitamins A, C, and E, or antioxidants, they prevent illness and disease. And that's the sense of the word here. So when he says, be trained in the words of faith, it's a way of saying, consume, be nourished by the doctrines of the gospel. Feed upon them. Second Timothy, uh, the next book, Second Timothy chapter 1, tells us that Timothy, he actually grew up with a grandmother named Lois and a mother named Eunice. Uh, and these two women, they nurtured him in the faith. Uh, they took him to church on the regular. They taught him all about Jesus, which, by the way, that shows the huge difference that the gospel can make in a home, in a family's home. A gospel-shaped upbringing prepares our sons and daughters to become faithful servants of Jesus throughout their life. And Timothy's nourishing diet also included this theology training that he got from the Apostle Paul when he apprenticed under him. We read about that in Acts 16. Now, the verb for training that we just talked about is actually in the present tense. So that tells us that Timothy had been nourished by the gospel up until this point, but he continues to take in. He continues to be nourished by gospel doctrine, which points us to the wonderful truth that you and I never graduate from the gospel. We never move on from the gospel. The gospel, the good news of a new life, the good news of new life in Jesus is, is, is for a lifetime of following him. There's always more to learn, new depths to plunge. I've been a Christian like about half of my life, and as I gaze at the gospel, every time that I do, and I gaze at the gospel and what Jesus did on the cross for me, in my place, for my sins, over the years, as I gaze upon that, God's grace gets bigger and bigger. His majesty, his splendor, his beauty gets bigger and bigger and greater over time. You see, part of good spiritual nutrition isn't just taking in good gospel doctrine, though. It's also avoiding the junk food of bad doctrine. Look at the beginning of verse 7. He says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. And that word irreverent means pointless, so not just false teachings, it includes false teaching, but not just false teaching, this also includes bad teaching. Teaching that's filled with cliches and superstitions, where there's a lot of fluff but no real meat. You need to know that there, there are, dude, there are all kinds of popular Christian authors and speakers and songwriters today that are serving up doctrine that is sentimental and inspiring, it pulls on your heartstrings, they embellish sometimes, but there's no real substance of truth. <laughs> now listen, <clears throat> yes, God is beautiful. 
Yes, we do long for him. We should long for him. Yes, he loves us. We should know that. We should accept that. We should be wooed by that. But he's also holy. He's also righteous and true. He's worthy of our reverence and awe. And we need to see that whole picture that he's given us of himself, not just what our fallen hearts want to hear. Now, to be clear, I'm not, I'm not anti-sentimentalist. I'm not against even being inspiring. I hope there are times where you walk away from a sermon feeling inspired to live more faithfully to, for Jesus. But I think this generation is obsessed with getting only that. And if that's all if that's all that they're giving you, just the fuzzy feels with no real substance, and Paul says, what is the point of that? Have nothing to do with that nonsense, he says. It's irreverent. It's, it's silly. Instead, he says, take in, be nourished by gospel doctrine that is found in the word of God. You are what you eat, as they say. So be mindful of what you're taking in. Feed yourself the truth. That's how you produce a godly life. If you're eating foolishness, don't be surprised with what comes out. Have you ever been to Taco Bell? You know what I'm talking about. Um, So take in good gospel doctrine. Number two, train for gospel living. Train for gospel living. He says in the rest of the verse there, he says, rather train yourself for godliness. Now, what is godliness? All right, what is godliness? Godliness is not being involved in a lot of ministry, all right? It doesn't mean doing a bunch of churchy things. It doesn't mean going to church, doing a Bible study, serving on a ministry team. Now, godliness includes all those things, but, but just because you do them doesn't mean that you're godly. The question is, what does your actual character look like? Are you growing in your love for God? Are you growing in your worship of God and your genuine love for others? Are you hating your sin more as you continue to grow in grace? Are the fruits of the Spirit present in your life? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Some of us, we don't pursue personal godliness because we think like having a bunch of spiritual activity on our calendar is like a replacement for, for actually pursuing godliness, but it's not. All right? It's, it's not. The Pharisees had their schedules filled to the brim with spiritual activity, and in a big way, they're the ones who got Jesus killed. Godliness... It's not about religious activity. It's about growing to be more like Jesus, to where you think like him, you act like him, you you love like him. It's putting on his character. It's conformity to the image of Christ. That's what the gospel produces in the life of a believer. Romans 8, 28, verse and 29 uh, uh, tell us this. It says, we know that for those who love God, 
all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of, of who? His son, Jesus. So the Christian life is one of growing to be more and more like Jesus over time. That's what godliness is. And Paul says, train yourself for that. All right? <coughs> look, at the, look, look at the verse again. He says, rather, train yourself for godliness. Now, now let's talk about that word train. How do we train for godliness? Now, interestingly, the, the word train here uh, is different in the original Greek than the word for train that we saw in verse 6. Here, it's the word gumnos, uh, which became gymnos, which is where we get the word gymnasium from, all right? Uh, and, the, and the word in its original context literally meant to train naked. Uh, and we're not going to encourage that here. All right, not that kind of church, uh, but it's helpful for you to know this because in ancient times, Greek athletes like the early Olympians, they trained with discipline. They trained hardcore with discipline, but without any clothes, all right? That, and that's how they competed too. And the reason for it is, is, is that the, it, just to keep their movements and their ag agileness, is that a word, agility, uh, from being hindered from being weighed down or slowed down. So maybe this will be a good time to ask yourself, what do, you, what, what do I need to shed in order to be spiritually disciplined? What do I need to leave behind in order to be spiritually fit, trained for godliness? And look, by New Testament times, that word gumnos uh, 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 that referred to just any kind of exercise and training in general, whether you were an athlete or not, whether you were wearing sportswear or underwear, right? It still, though, had the image of sweats and discipline and training. And so Paul wants you to have that image. He wants you to have the image of, of gym activity in your head. He's saying gymnasticize yourself for godliness, Run through your second wind. Lift your until your lift weights until your muscles burn. Jump until your legs start to wobble. This picture of discipline is all just embedded in this text. But we need to be careful because all this talk about discipline can can sound like legalism. You might be thinking, like, hey, all this talk about we got to do this and we should do that and we should have this kind of like, isn't that works, right? I thought our salvation is by faith, but isn't that like works? But don't confuse real spiritual fitness for legalism. The difference is that legalism is self-centered, right? Legalism is self-centered, but discipline, spiritual discipline is God-centered. The legalistic heart says, I'm going to do this so that God will like me. The spiritually disciplined heart says, no, I do this because God loved me first. And I want him or I want to love him back. I want to know him more. I want to obey his commands because he loved me first. It is doing things, pursuing godliness because of the gospel which came first. Paul himself, 
who wrote this letter. He was disciplined in his spiritual life, but at the same time, he saw his own service to God as the result of God's grace, not as a way to get it. That's why he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. So we engage in spiritual disciplines because of grace. We engage in them for a deeper relationship with Christ through the means that he appointed. That means we deepen our relationship with Christ through the means he appointed, like like prayer. Jesus made it a priority to pray. He taught his disciples to pray. He invited them to pray with him. We deepen our relationship with Christ through the word of truth. Jesus says to abide in him and in his words. And so we take hold of Christ as Christ's word takes hold of us. And so we read the scriptures like we're doing as a church through our reading plan this year. We study them with others, like in our home groups. We receive the word when we come together for worship on the Lord's Day. We also deepen our relationship with Christ through through, through fellowship with other Christians. If the church is the body of Christ, which the Bible says it is, then listen, we can't have a meaningful relationship in any sense of that word, with Christ, without also having a meaningful relationship with other fellow Christians. We're made for community, and so we we deepen our relationship with Christ through fellowship with other Christians, and we also, lastly, deepen our relationship with Christ through receiving the Lord's Supper, communion, together. You hear us say this from time to time, but it's so important that you get it. It's the reason that we, we receive communion every week. Something special happens at the communion meal. Something supernatural comes down and enters this place. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that when we receive communion, we participate in the gospel. And, and also in 1 Corinthians, he says we participate in the body of Christ. It's not just a visible reminder of the gospel. It is that, but it's so much more than that. It's a spiritual feast where the living Jesus is actually present. He's actually present, spiritually present as both the host and as the meal. And so at his table, he he nourishes us. He strengthens us and he assures us of his love. Don't underestimate the value of training for gospel living. Don't underestimate it, Paul says. He says this in verse eight and nine. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. In other words, I think there's four times that Paul says this saying is trustworthy in 1 Timothy. He's like, that's when he highlights those things, he's like, hey man, I really want you to understand this. I really want you to get this. The Apostle Paul is saying that godliness is valuable in every way. It's valuable in your relationships, in your your marriage, 
in your friendships, in your home, with your family, in the church, in the marketplace. It's valuable in times of suffering and in times of abundance. It helps a person know how to deal with enemies as well as how to serve their friends. It guides the believer in any and all situations. As useful as it is for the present life, godliness holds greater value, I think, for the future. Because when it comes to Christian character, you really can take it with you. It's actually the only thing that a person can take from this life into the next. That's what makes spiritual fitness so much more valuable than physical fitness, as Paul says. Your physical exercise, it does have some value, right? It pays off with your health. It can stave off anxiety and depression. But the value of physical ex exercise is, is, is limited. Uh, I heard through the grapevine uh, that Arnold Schwarzenegger is exploring the Christian faith and talking to some, some uh, Christian friends of his. I don't know if that's true or not. I just kind of heard it from like, oh, this guy, who knows this guy, who knows this guy. Um, but man, I was thinking, like, if he came to saving faith in Christ, like, if, he, if, if Arnold Schwarzenegger came to saving faith in Christ, believing that Jesus lived for him, died for his sins, rose from the grave, ascended into heaven, and one day will be back. <laughs> so stupid. Uh, but, I, <laughs> but look, it, he... If, he's really, if he really came to saving faith, he's not going to take his biceps and his deltoids into eternity with him. But clearly, his physical fitness has benefited him in, in this life. But training for godliness, training for godliness, that has uncountable, immeasurable benefits both in this world and also in the world to come. I was talking to a, a, another good friend of mine this week about the, the scientist named Ray Kurzweil. He's got this brilliant mind in so many respects, but this, this guy, he doesn't, he doesn't believe that anything comes after death. And so this secular scientist, he's so committed to seeking out technology advances that will make his mind last forever through like biotechnology and things like that. And he is like certain, he's gone like on record saying that he is certain that, he, I think he's like in his 60s or 70s now, he's certain that before he dies, he'll have the means to live forever. It's a fruitless dream, a fruitless dream that he's committed himself and devoted himself to. The only thing that you can take into eternity is your relationship with God and the godly character that that relationship has produced. John Calvin says it this way. He says, you will do the thing of greatest value if with all your zeal and ability you devote yourself to godliness alone. Godliness is the beginning, middle, and end of Christian living. Where it is complete, there is nothing lacking. You can't take the life that you've built here on this earth into the kingdom of God, but you can invest in your life in the kingdom in eternity through godliness. You can make deposits right now through godly character that will pay dividends into eternity. So 
Let me ask you, do you value the pursuit of godliness? Just an honest heart check. Do you value the pursuit of godliness? Is, is your, maybe is your, is your perspective changing today? If so, I want to encourage you to hang on to that. And so we take in gospel doctrine, we train for gospel living, and lastly, number three, we toil in gospel mission. We toil on gospel mission. Verse 10 says, For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. You see, the final thing it takes to be spiritually fit is a commitment to the global glory of God. It's living for the glory of God and for the good of others so that the people around you and so that the generations that come after you might come to know the same hope that you have in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says this is the reason that we toil and strive. And that word strive comes from the Greek word agonizomai, where we get the word agony from. Agony. We will suffer in this world. We will suffer on this side of death. But look, our suffering will produce in us, if you know Christ, our suffering by faith can produce in us something of a type of godliness and character that can never be taken away. It reminds me of going on these uh, mission trips, these short-term mission trips I used to go on with to third world countries. And one of the first things that they tell you is, is not to drink the water when you get there. Because it's got properties in it that will make you sick because our bodies weren't made, aren't made being, you know, being, having been like uh, coming up from somewhere else. Uh, our bodies aren't ready to take it. And so you've got to boil the water to get the toxins out before you drink it. Listen, sometimes... Sometimes God turns the heat up in our life to get the toxins out. He turns the heat up in our life to get those toxins out. Sometimes he's going to take you through hard things, through hard things because he wants to produce in you something that might not be in you if you had not been through that thing. Sometimes the Christian life is hard. Sometimes clinging to hope is hard. Sometimes sharing your faith is hard. But man, the hard parts are so worth it. They're so worth it because we have the message of hope and salvation in Jesus Christ. The living God. As Paul says, Jesus is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Now, this doesn't mean that all people will be saved. We know that because of all the other scriptures in the New Testament. But what it does mean is that God is the Savior of all kinds of peoples, in all kinds of places, in all kinds of many generations. And he says, especially of those who believe. He's making it clear that those who've placed their hope in Jesus Christ, the living God, and pursue godliness will not be disappointed. They will be vindicated. You will get a return on your investment as you trust in him. Do you remember the end of chapter three that we looked at just a, few, a couple weeks ago? 
where Jesus Christ was described as the mystery of godliness. He's the mystery of godliness. In other words, he lived out godliness in the truest and fullest sense of that word. He's the epitome of it. He lived with perfect obedience to the Father. He feasted on the word and was nourished by it, even when he was tempted in the desert, when he was hungry. He says, no, I'm not gonna, I don't live by bread alone, but I, by, the, by the very words of God. He trained in godliness. He trained in holiness. He was proven pure through suffering. He laid down his life, suffered the agony of the cross for the global glory of God and for the eternal joy of you. Sinners like me and you. And he rose from the grave. He rose from the grave, returned to heaven to prepare an eternal home for us. One day, he will return for us all. Until then, by his grace, we can grow in godliness. So let us take in gospel doctrine. Let us train for gospel living. Let us toil in gospel mission for the global glory of God, for our eternal joy, and for the good of those around us. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.